to you tonight and you want to be turning there, I'm going to be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to John in chapter 8. And uh, one of the things that I've had on my mind a lot lately is, uh, is truth. You know, and, and this entire book was written about the truth. And you would think, you know, the truth is one of those things that is just undeniable. I mean, just with the mere fact of the word truth, you would say, well, you know, that, that kind of goes without saying. I mean, if I pick up this hymnal right here and I hold it out, the truth is if I let go of it, what's going to happen? Everybody here knows the truth of the matter. If I let go of this, it's going to fall to the floor. But you see, the problem comes in is when people won't have the truth. I told a, a cousin of mine one time when he was actually trying to uh, uh, assert to me that there was no hell and there was no devil. And I told him this, and I knew what he was doing. He was baiting me. I, I'm far enough along in this know when somebody's trying to bait me and get a rise out of me or anything like that. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'll tell you this. I said, the way I see it when it comes to the truth, there's two types of people. I said, there's the type that whenever that they go out and they look for the truth, and when they find it, they're glad that they found the truth. And regardless of what the truth is, they rejoice in knowing that truth, and then they swear to that truth. The other type is the type that searches for the truth, believing fully that when they find the truth, it'll prove them right. And when they find the truth and it doesn't prove them right, then they say, well, that just simply can't be true. Well, I can tell you that I can stand up here all night and talk about that if I, if I let go of this hymnal a million times, that one of those times it's not going to fall to the floor. Well, that might dwell within the realm of possibility, but the truth is it's going to fall every time. And the truth that's contained in this Word is that people are going to wind up when this life ends in one of two places. They're either going to go to heaven in Jesus Christ or they're going to go to hell of their own wages and their own deeds. And when it comes to eternity, that's it. There's no third option. There's no ability to bend or grease or stretch the truth. That the truth is it's either heaven or it's hell. And getting into heaven is but by one way. And that way is Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now here in John chapter 8, where we're going to read, uh, uh, we'll start at about verse 28, that Jesus begins to talk about the truth. Uh, and you'll notice it's a recurring theme throughout the Gospel according to John. John uses the word truth countless times throughout his Gospel. Uh, that just as I'd mentioned a second ago in the 14th chapter of this same book, uh, when Jesus is telling the disciples about the place He's going to prepare, uh, and He tells them uh, the way you know uh, uh, and the place you know. And, and, and Thomas looks at Him and says, Lord, uh, we don't know the way. And Jesus looks at Him and says, I am the way the truth and the life. That the only way to get to heaven is through and by the blood of Jesus Christ and any other way that a person tries to make it is a lie and it won't work. And so here in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and He begins to talk to them about the truth. In verse 28 He says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself. But as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things. And He that sent Me is with Me. The Father hath not left Me alone. For I do always those things 
that please Him. That He's talking about God as His Father to a group of people who are essentially saying, you know what? I've heard about this guy. I heard about the shady background of his birth. The things that happened. This guy's from Nazareth and nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. And yet here he is telling us, the high muckety-mucks, the Pharisees, just exactly who it is that's His Father trying to tell us how we should be. That goes over about like a lead balloon. He tells them these things. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. You mean to tell me that you're sitting here trying to say that you have all the truth and you have the keys and you have uh, 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 everything that we need? And they call hogwash on it. They say, that's hogwash. He, uh, they answer there in verse 30, and he spake these words. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. Verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now what the truth does is it washes away all of the lies and all of the errors and all the things that we might stand back and cover ourselves with and say, look, that things aren't so. I'm a good person. I've done basically good things, but Sister Donna mentioned it, that the blood of Christ has to wash away the sins of that little bitty child that ain't done much, just the same as it does a rapist or a murderer or a that all sin before God is the same. Did you know that? I mean, think about it. Which is worse, to tell a little white lie or to molest a child? In our eyes, we know which is worse. We say, oh, that's way worse. In God's eyes, those are both worthy of the one punishment for sin, and that's death. And that's why we need Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, is because our sin is not little, regardless of how small we've tried to keep it, it's all big. Amen. And one thing that you hear a lot in the church house is we talk about confession. I've heard it all my life about confession being good for the soul. But what is confession but simply acknowledging something that's already true? That when we confess our sins, is it that God was taken unaware? He said, oh, whoa, I didn't know about that one. I had no clue you'd done those sorts of things. Is it that when we confess uh, our sins that we're essentially uh, cutting a plea bargain with Almighty God like criminals will do a lot of times. They'll say, if you confess, we won't send you to the gas chamber. Or if you confess, uh, we'll give you a lighter sentence. Uh, Or is it rather that all that we're being asked to do uh, is to acknowledge what's already true, uh, what God already knows, and a lot of times, maybe we didn't know. And that's when Jesus says, He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now Jesus says uh, later on in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, And if we come to the truth, we'll find the way and we'll find the life that we need and we'll get everything that we need in order to make it to that place that Jesus Christ talked about. Everybody that dies and goes to hell goes there because they have believed in a lie. They looked at the truth And they said, well, now that can't be it. Because based on that truth, based on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm a murderer and I've never killed anybody. Sermon on the Mount says, if you've gotten angry with your brother, you're a murderer. If you've looked on another with lust in your heart, you are an adulterer. 
And you might be able to sit right back and say, Brother Jeremiah, I've not even done that. I can, know, I can wager with 100% certainty that even if you have been able to keep all of those other things, there's one thing that will get you every single time. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul said got him. Because the Apostle Paul, when he gives his pedigree, I believe it's in the book of Galatians, and he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's significant. If you were talking to a room full of Jews and especially Pharisees like he was at that time, they'd go, wow, that, that's something right there. And he'd say, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now that was one of the tribes that didn't get lost. He wasn't in no way, shape, form, or fashion a Samaritan. He was well known. His birth was well established. And he was circumcised on the eighth day. And then he goes on and he says, I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was one of the most prolific teachers of their day. He was one of the ones that, you know, be the equivalent of us saying, I went to Harvard and, and graduated magna cum laude and uh, I, I had, uh, you know, all kinds of accolades from different professors and all these things. And people would say, wow, that's, that's significant. And he'd say, I was raised under the most strict sect of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. And he, he went right on down through the pedigree of all the things that he'd done. And he said, but when I encountered Christ, I discovered what a covetous man that I was because he was just like the elder son in the story of the prodigal son. He might not have done the things, but he wanted to do them. That the only thing that stopped him was fear of getting caught. And let me tell you something. I guarantee you that every one of you have wanted to tell a lie at one time or another. Every one of you have been tempted to steal at one time or another. And that is that spirit of covetousness. And that right there, maybe you can say, I've never committed murder. I've never told a lie. I've never bore false witness. I've never committed adultery and all these other things. But I can tell you that you're covetous. It is in the nature of of a human being. And you see, what I have just done to you is I've given you a little truth. Maybe it's truth that you had never encountered before. But you know what Jesus said about the truth? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the ones, the Jews that He were talking to here, they looked and they said, wait a minute now. Free? What are you talking about? It says in verse 33, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They look at him and they say, We've never been slaves. <clears throat> the interesting thing is apparently they never read the book of the Exodus. The entire nation of Israel at one point was an enslaved nation that they walked out of Egypt only because God freed them from under bondage of Egypt. Uh, uh, but Jesus isn't even talking about that. Uh, uh, but now they've, they've misunderstood. They've been in bondage before. And Jesus was telling them, you're in bondage right now. It says, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know what that means? That means if you're sinning, you're a servant of sin and you need to be a servant of Almighty God. And the only way to get through and get away from all of that sin is to get closer to Christ. Amen. You may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, I've never lived a perfect day in my life. Amen. Me neither. You, uh, you won't have to follow me around an entire day to see me mess up and to see me uh, commit sin of some kind. But what you will see is you'll see me 
acknowledge that sin, come before God and get it back under the blood because one of the biggest lies that the devil ever tells a Christian person is, oh, you've gone too far. Every time that you are tempted to sin, and now let's, let's just establish this is true right here. The devil doesn't twist your arm behind your back and make you sin. He don't have that kind of power, but now he'll say, yeah, go ahead. And the best way that I can illustrate this, and I don't really have a good analogy for you ladies, but hopefully you'll follow along and maybe you've witnessed this, but you, you men, when you were young and you were with a group of other guys, and somebody suggested something to do that was pretty ornery and pretty knot-headed, what would they do? Wouldn't they kind of cheer you on? Maybe chant your name? Say, nobody will see. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can tell you right now, I learned at a real young age, those very same guys that are agging you on and double-dog daring you to do it and everything else, you know who will rat you out? Those same guys. Every time they will rat you out. One of the interesting things I found in a middle school classroom, if somebody does something and nobody will fess up to it, I found out real quick this is a good tactic. And you may be able to use this if you're ever around a group of kids and nobody's wanting to fess up. See, they don't want to tell on each other because that's a tattletale. So you take the kid in there that's not the best kid and they're not the worst kid. And you accuse them of it and tell them you're going to give them detention. You know what they'll do? They'll tell you who did it. They'll point, oh, that wasn't me now. And see, you've given them the ability to where they can look at that other person and say, look, I didn't rat you out. I just pulled my own fat out of the fire. But you see, whenever it comes to sin and Satan adds you on to do it and everything, guess who it is that wants to rat you out? It's Satan. He's the very one saying, go ahead, you can get away with it. And then when you do it, he's the very one that says, oh, you can't get away with this. <laughs> Got you now. Oh, you've done messed up. You've gone too far. Because He wants you to know the truth that your sin condemns you. But He doesn't want you to know the truth that's contained uh, in a book written by this same man in 1 John 1.9. Let me turn there real quick lest I misquote it. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that is very inclusive when it says all, A-double-L, it's a small word, but it means a lot. That means all unrighteousness. Well, Brother Jeremiah, what about if I took a drink of an alcoholic beverage and I knew that I wasn't supposed to? That's, in, that's covered by all. What about if I used a word that I knew I ought not use? That's covered by all. <laughs> what if I've looked at something I wasn't supposed to look at? Covered by all. <laughs> because that is the truth of the Word of God. <laughs> and it will stand when this world is on fire. <laughs> and when the adversary brings an accusation against you, you can hold that up and say, My Bible, the Word of God, the Word of truth says, I've confessed that sin before God, not as though that I'm telling Him about it because He didn't know about it, but rather I am coming to the truth knowing that the truth will make me free. Amen. Because this world, I can tell you, if you ever want to see people playing with the truth, get on Facebook. You get on Facebook and you see people's profile picture, and I, I've seen some of the people I went to school with say, look at that profile picture and say, man, they're taking pretty good care of themselves. But Walmart will tell on them every time. <laughs> Run into them down there at Walmart and say, I believe that uh, profile picture is uh, several years out of date. 
and several pounds out of date. And you may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, I just wanted to put my best foot forward. Well, maybe you are, but don't be disingenuous. You be genuine in everything that you do. Because I can tell you that the world is watching you, Christian. And they're looking and they're judging your deeds. And you may say, well, they're not supposed to judge. They don't know that. And if they judge and they look, they better see a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Because if they don't, then you better start worrying about the truth that you're laying out there. And then the next thing about the truth is, is it has to be the whole truth. You ever notice that? I'm sure anybody that's ever watched, uh, I've watched a lot of uh, Matlock with Andy Griffith in it growing up. Watched that show a lot. Learned a lot about the law. You know, I don't know how factual it is, but I learned a lot about Ben Matlock. And how that it would be that people would get up on that stand and they'd place their right hand on that Bible and they'd ask him, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And all the person up there that had their hand on the Bible would have to do is just say, I do. Essentially saying that I swear not only to just tell the truth, but the whole truth, the truth in its entirety, leaving nothing out. Now that's one right there that will get you, especially when you're involved in contracting like I've been at times. Where you look around and say, well, you know, they didn't ask. So I didn't say. That's one of those ones where you justify it and you look around and you say, you know what? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I'm okay with that. The Lord gave me something one time to help me with that though. The Lord told me, said, look, if you feel like you need to justify what you did, you shouldn't have done it to begin with. Because when the truth is the truth and it's right and it's the whole truth, do you ever feel the need to justify it? No. No. You can stand on it, can't you? It's not shifty. You don't have to hold your mouth just right whenever you look at it and everything. It's the truth. And it will stand, as they say, when the world's on fire. This book right here contains more truth, really, than what this world can handle. And you see, the world has a truth. The world has certain things that from the world standpoint, they're true. But whenever those come into conflict with the Word of God, guess which one wins out? The Word of God. If you don't believe me, just turn just a, a couple of chapters over into John chapter 11. Probably pretty familiar with this. Uh, turn to about verse 39. In John chapter 11. Now the truth that's contained here in John chapter 11 in the first part of it is, is that Lazarus is dead. Now that gets about as true as true can get, don't it? That is about the, as hopeless of a situation. And this world, you know, we look at it and, and when death takes place, we look at it and we say, well now... That's a harsh truth, but it's true. The hardest one is ever when you have a little kid and you have to begin, they begin to realize that everybody at some point or another has that same appointment. And they get worried about that. My grandmother told me a good story that the Lord blessed her with to be able to do with one of her kids. Said her son, it's my uncle, Sanford, said when he was a little bitty fella, and he'd learned about this. And somebody, uh, probably one of his older siblings, might have been my dad. He always loved to mess with his younger siblings and uh, said that they'd told him that he was going to die. Of course, they didn't tell him when or how or anything like that. They just told him that he was going to die. And he was, he was in great turmoil. Come in to my grandmother. And now, this is an instance where you don't want to lie to the kid. No, no, that ain't going to happen. 
And so she said, she looked at him and said, son, said, you're going to live your whole life. Told him that. And after she told him that, he was fine. And that's what God tells us. You're going to live your whole life. Now, you may not know exactly how long that's going to be. And that's actually an interesting notion because those people that want to wait till the last minute, doesn't that kind of trip them up? It tripped me up. I was planning on waiting till the last minute, Mom, but uh, I suddenly, it dawned on me one day, you know what, I don't know exactly when the last minute is. And I may not see it coming. It's a bad plan. Deathbed repentance is not a plan. I'll never rule it out, but I'll tell people this, don't plan on it. That is foolish at best. Best case scenario, it's just foolishness. Worst case scenario, it's leaning on a broke stick. Here is Lazarus. Laid in a grave. Four days. When Jesus tells them right here in verse 39, Jesus says, Take ye away the stone. They've done put him in the grave, rolled the stone over it, and Jesus says, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. You know what that means? I mean, to, to put it in a very uh, crude manner, he's as dead as a doornail. That I don't care how many times you shock him, how much CPR you know how to do, how much medicine you pump in that body, it's still a corpse. At that point, modern medicine cannot help. And they were saying, Lord, they said, Lord, if you'd been here, you could have healed him. Jesus had a different thing in mind. This is where the truth of the Word of God will come into conflict with the truth of this world. And you'll find that the truth in the Word of God will win out every single time. Because it says in verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Now I want you to pay real close attention to the truth of the world versus the truth of the Word. Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me, and I knew that Thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that Thou hast sent me. And when He had thus spoken, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth that Jesus spoke that same holy word that John talked about at the beginning when he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus spoke and deaf ears heard and it said, verse 44, and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. The truth set him free and the truth come from Jesus Christ. And when the truth of God encounters the truth of this world, the truth of this world has to give way every single time. Next time you're worried, the next time you're wondering just exactly how things are going to go, remember that when the Lord speaks, this world has to obey. It don't want to, but it has to. And if He can speak to deaf ears, if He can speak to dead ears, then how much more can He conquer your problems? How much more can He help you in your difficulty? Amen. Know the truth, and it will set you free. 
That doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. But it does mean that you're going to have a firm place to stand in the midst of a shaky world. Because this world would sit back and tell you no hope. They told me and Sister Crystal that a long time ago. Told us that about our oldest daughter, Faith. And it was, you see, when Elijah come along, he's 15 now. Crystal found out that she was pregnant with him. You know, I was just joking when I suggested that she was pregnant with him, and turns out the joke was on me. <laughs> and he was born nine months later. And then when he was about four months old, I joked again that Sister Crystal was pregnant. Once again, the joke was on me. She turned up pregnant again. Sister Crystal got deathly ill. Took her to the hospital. Had her checked out by the, the doctors and everything. And they said she was pregnant in three places. That she was pregnant in her ovary, in her fallopian tube, and one in her uterus. And the one in her uterus was not viable. Now that word viable actually comes from the Latin word veritas. You know what the word veritas means? Truth. <laughs> viable. Not viable means it, it, it's not true. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. They said that we've looked at it and seen that there's no sack there that's formed. I, I, know, I won't belabor you with all of the technical terms of it, but I will say this, uh, uh, that they had a truth, Brother Arby, and they presented it to us. I had been a Christian for a grand total of four months at that point. I wasn't as firmly founded then as what I am now. And they told us, they said, now we need to go in, of course, and take care of those other two. And said, while we're in there, we'll just do a DNC. It was tempting. I looked at it and I thought, we, ain't even, we wasn't ready for the first one. We're not ready for this one. Now, I would never have entertained the notion of an abortion, but now this was a different term. And they said, well, now it's dead anyway. Don't worry about it. But then, I remembered something. I remembered a scripture that I'd heard when I was just a little bitty feller. That I, I, it was the Holy Spirit. He brought it back to my memory because I don't even remember where I heard it, but I remember hearing it when I was very young. And it said, To trust in the Lord in all your ways and lean not to thine own understanding. Now, I, at that point, I had had it with doctors. I had had it with doctors because of what had subsequently happened to my father. So I wasn't very trusting of doctors at that particular point. Sister Crystal and I unanimously agreed that they could take care of the other two, but they were to not lay a finger on that one in the womb. And we told them, God will sort that out. Amen. I could see them, see them roll their eyes at us, Sister Donna. These stupid kids, you know how old we were at that time? 21 years old. I didn't feel that young then. That's pretty young. And they thought these goofy country kids, they don't know nothing. And they sent one in after the other. I found out later the reason they were doing that is because whoever got us to consent to do that got to help. They were sending in those residents, those students and everything. And every one of them, I mean, they were just a ginning in there. I'd tell them, no, hit the door, hit the door. There's one come in and I thought, my Jags, I'm going to put a stop to this. I was going to get real rough with this young fella. He was older than me, but still young. 
And I was going to tell him, you go back out in that hallway and you tell ever how many else thinks that they're going to come in here that if they don't quit, I'm going to go find me a lawyer and I'm going to sue this hospital for harassment. I was done, had my lips pursed up to say it. The young man walked in. He held out his hand. He said, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Williamson. My name's Brian Bauer. He said, I just wanted to tell you all I think you're doing the right thing. I looked at him in that moment and I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, and I heard what you told those others that you would trust in God. And he said, and if it was my wife, I'd want her to do the same thing. He said, I want you to know that you're doing the right thing. He's been Sister Crystal's doctor ever since. He was finishing up his residency and he's taking care of her. He tells this same story in his office on a regular basis. And what happened was is they went in and it wasn't anything like what they said it was. But now they still said, but now that one in the uterus, it is most assuredly dead. We went back for an ultrasound one week later. She was five weeks pregnant at that point. The ultrasound tech, Sister Crystal, was telling her all about everything that she'd been through and how that this was going to determine one way or another uh, whether or not this pregnancy was viable. And they, you know, squirted that jelly stuff out on her belly there and everything, put that little thing on there and began to look. And that's when heard the sound. And it's a very distinct sound if you ever heard it. That And that ultrasound tech looked up at Sister Crystal and me and she said, you better be glad that you told them no because right there is that heartbeat. <laughs> and praise the Lord that God stood and said, look, I'll put life where there was none. I'll take care of the untake careable. I will minister when the world says there's no hope. That's what our God can do. And I'll tell you this too, just to help cement it. Because there was a time when I began to doubt and say, well, maybe they were just wrong. Sister Crystal had five, five miscarriages between my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter. Every time, the exact same thing that they said happened with faith happened with them. Turns out she has a blood clotting disorder. She should have never been able to carry the first two to term without medication when she did. Praise be unto my God that He knows a truth that goes beyond what this world can tell us, Sister Donna. Uh, that my God, uh, He when He speaks, uh, this world has to listen. Uh, you imagine the people standing next to Moses uh, when he said, stand still uh, and see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, uh, but he stretched forth the rod uh, and people saying we're going to die in the end enemies at our backs and water at our front and the water stood up and rolled back on both sides I tell you that when God speaks this world has to listen don't you forget it when the adversary comes along, when he tempts you, when he tries to draw you off into all manner of evil and wrongness, you remember that the word of truth stands when this world is on fire because what I find in this book right here Whenever it is that I see hopeless, I'm going to come back to John chapter 11. Because it says now that after the, that point that Jesus did that and spoke and Lazarus got up and everybody knew Lazarus was dead, there was no question about it. You know, the other people that Jesus raised from the dead, prior to this, they might have been able to say, well, you know, they probably weren't really dead. 
They didn't do people like they do now, you know, where it's several days and they embalm them and do all these things. They had to get them buried pretty quick. And some people would say, you know, like the young man carried in the casket and it began to fall and Jesus put His hand on the casket there and the dead rose up and Jesus delivered the young man to his widowed mother. They might have been able to say, well, maybe he was just fainted. They tried to say that about Jesus. The world tries to say that at this point. The truth is, He was dead. And yet He is alive and alive forevermore and at the right hand of the Father. That is the truth. I heard somebody say, well, I believe that what happened is that Jesus Christ, while He was hanging there on the cross, that He swooned. That He fainted. And I got to looking at that. And I've heard other ministers mention this, and you probably have too, but I think it bears repeating. That they had taken and driven nails through the palms of His hands. Eighteen years ago, I severed a tendon in my ring finger. And I can tell you when I did that, uh, my Uncle Sanford, he he gave me a handful of paper towels. I was over at Paintsville Lake when it happened. And I had that wrapped up in paper towels standing there in the office trailer. And he said, can you walk to the truck? And I said, yeah, I believe I can. By the time I got to the truck, I could barely pick my feet up. That I was so weak from the blood loss and the pain and everything else. But Jesus, having had nails driven through His hands and through His feet, having been pierced through the side, and you see, they did that to prove they were dead. Because when you're crucified, what happens is your lungs fill up with water. You don't smother to death, you drown. You drown in your own bodily fluids. And when they pierced them in the side like that, they pierced right into the lung. And blood and water would come forth and they would know, well, yeah, their lungs full of water, they're dead. Because they were going to break their legs if they weren't dead. Not to mention being jabbed with that spear. If you were playing possum, you'd quit real quick being jabbed with that spear. And so after all that, now if it was just that, but it says right prior to that, you remember what happened? They beat him to a bloody pulp. Before they did all that, they had beat him so hard he couldn't carry his own cross up the hill that they had to compel Simon the Cyrenian to do it for him. And they beat him and and drove nails to him and spit in his face and humiliated him and done all of these things. And he fainted, laid in a tomb, a cold tomb, where the air wasn't very good. It bound to have been stale. For three days now, without any food, without any water, and then on the third day, he just... You know, come out of having been passed out. I can tell you now, that right there, that's a bigger stretch than the miraculous healing power of Almighty God restoring the body that had been ravaged by sin to raise up to become imperfection, though it had taken on, or to become perfection after it had taken on imperfection. But you see, what happens is, is that when it comes to the truth, it doesn't matter what you believe. The only thing that matters is what is. If, if, you, if, you think, if you think that what matters is belief, I tell you what. You go and you find you some wood. You build you a fire. How many here agrees that fire is hot? Show of hands. How many, how many believe that? I believe that on my heart. I know it firsthand. You, maybe you've never encountered fire. And maybe you can stand, you can sit back here and say, hey, Jeremiah Williamson, it's a full of baloney. Up there telling me that fire is hot. 
and it'll burn me. I don't believe that for a second. Tell you what, if you believe that, you go build you a fire. You get it just as hot as you can get it and job your hand back in it. And then come tell me what you believe. At that point, come tell me how much your belief affected the truth that was laid in that fire because of the heat that was in it. And you see, that's the thing about the Word of God. is It's more than just mere belief. Because if it's only paying lip service to Almighty God, well then I guess the devils are saved too. Did you never notice when Jesus came and there would be devils in people and they would be demon possessed? Didn't they recognize Him as the Son of God? Didn't they believe that He was the Son of God? And didn't they believe in His power? The Bible tells me that a believer is not just a mere hearer or a sayer, but rather a doer of the Word rather than just somebody who pays lip service to it. Let me give you a little analogy. I think will help you out with this one, with this truth. A lot of people say, oh, I believe this and I believe that and everything. I believe the Word of God is true and all that. Well, let me tell you the difference between belief and unbelief. If you come into a public place and in walks a guy, say you're in the bank Monday, depositing uh, some money into the bank, and you see a young man walk in, pull a ski mask down over his face, shuck a shell into a pistol and come walking in and somebody looks around and says, I believe that young man's here to rob the place. Well, if you don't believe, you'll stay right there, won't you? But if you believe, what will you do? You'll flee. you get out. you get away. My Bible tells me that a calamity is coming. That a day of reckoning is coming. That every deed will be called into judgment. That everyone will stand before the great white throne of an almighty God and they will give an account of the deeds that they have done. And the only way to be saved from that wrath is through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And any other way just simply won't cut it. That is truth. You can believe it or you can choose not to. That part's up to you. And then the extent to which you believe, it'll bear out. There are lots of people that they may say, well, you know the teachings of Christ. That's good teaching. That's good moral ways to live. That's fine, but you don't need a teacher. There are lots of good teachers out there. You may say, well, Jesus was a, a, a miracle worker and a prophet. That, that He was. He was a good teacher. And He was a prophet indeed. He said things that come to pass. But it ain't a prophet that's going to save you. Now you'll notice that every time that Jesus performed a miracle, even this with Lazarus, Jesus didn't walk around and say, Hey, look at me. I'm the dead razor guy. I'm the one that did that. He didn't go around and say, you know, I, I've done all these things and, and you guys just really need to heap up uh, uh, money on me and do all these things. He actually downplayed all those miracles. And you'll notice when he was talking to the Pharisees there earlier in chapter 8, he talked about him being raised up. And he didn't mean raised up on their shoulders. He meant raised up on the cross. Because without Calvary... This instance in John chapter 11 doesn't mean anything. 
because John or Lazarus was going to die again and there was no place but hell for him without the salvation through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's it. The truth is, when it comes down to the end of this life, there's only one or two places to go. There's either into the bosom of Almighty God through through Christ Jesus or there's hell. And the Apostle Paul, the way that he put it is he said the wages of sin is death. A person earns their way to hell. And so many people think they can earn their way into heaven. You don't earn your way into heaven. You can't. When's the last time somebody ever gave you a gift and you was like, well, it's about time. About time you gave me this gift. This is mine. I deserve it. I've earned this gift. First of all, if you've earned it, isn't it a wage? You don't earn a gift. You get a gift because somebody loves you. Somebody cares. At the very least, because they were made to give it to you. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. And it only comes by Jesus. It doesn't come any other way. Out there in the world, they're latching hold of any false doctrine, any false thing that they can grab a hold of and hanging on to it. So much so that they are beginning to pervert this book right here. That they're beginning to say, well now doesn't your Bible say judge not lest ye be judged. Somebody tried that with me once and I said, yeah, my Bible does. But it said also, with whatever measure that you meet out, it will be measured unto you also. You know what that means? Ever how you judge, that's how you're going to be judged. And I told him, I said in the 24th chapter of that same book that I guarantee you, you don't even know where it's at because you just know the Scripture and you know that that's the one you throw out, you vomit out in front of the Christian people in order to try to get them off of your case. That in the same book, the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 24, when Jesus is pronouncing woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees, He says, Woe unto you who tithe mint and eyes and cumin, and yet ignore the weightier things of the law, which are judgment, mercy, and faith. Now if you're not supposed to judge, why would Jesus say that one of the weightier things of the law was judgment? It is with a righteous judgment. And it is a judgment with this book. Not what you think. Remember what you thought? You thought that telling a little white lie was no worse than a pedophile. I can tell you they're the same in the eyes of God. That's what your judgment does. If you want to resort to the wisdom of men, here's one that might keep you busy for the next couple of days. Think about this. There is a rule that mankind has formed that everybody says, you know, this is the pinnacle of mankind's genius. Is this. That to every rule... There is an exception. That sounds about right, doesn't it? I mean, uh, I've never encountered a rule that there's not an exception to. But one, and that's that rule that states to every rule there's an exception. And so then that rule simultaneously proves and disproves itself. That's the extent of man's wisdom. But the extent of God's wisdom when it is that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes summed it all up. He said that the full duty of man is to fear God and to keep His commandments. You know what your job is? It's laid out very plainly for you. 
But I tell you this tonight, and I'm going to hush before I go into a coffin fit. <clears throat> when the world encounters the truth of the Word of God, the Word of God will win every time. You need to understand that when you're afraid, when you're distressed, when you're doubtful, whenever it is that you just simply don't know what to do, that the Word of God will win out every single time. I guarantee it because thus says the Word of God. Let's everyone stand. Someone come get a song. <clears throat> The only way to fully know the truth in any instance is it the way Jesus put it is He said that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. Trust in His Holy Spirit, His Comforter. The world may present you with all kind of evidence as to what is true. But I can tell you, you trust in His Word, you trust in His Holy Spirit, and you'll never go wrong. You might get confused but you can't confuse the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you into the truth. He'll help you through a room that's pitch black and you've never been in before without you bumping your shin. I promise you, if it serves God's will, there ain't anything that He can't do. And I can tell you this, if you don't trust Him, you won't even try. You won't even set out. If you don't believe the truth, what can you believe? Go ahead. Jesus Does anybody have need of the altar tonight? Now is the acceptable time and today is the day of salvation. And if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart and don't turn him away. Come to him before that it's too late. You have hope right now in a Savior in Jesus Christ. But I can tell you that once this heart stops beating, justice will be done. And without a Savior and without an advocate, you're not going to like justice. Because justice says you have to pay for your sins. But in Jesus Christ, you've already prepaid. Won't you come? Today may be the day. If you have any need, if you're having trouble with the truth of the Word of God, you might want to start at the altar. Remember that this world has the truth, but God has the better ones. And it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Won't you come?